today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Following up on uh, the Premier's announcement, uh, essentially about the construction of a new long-term care facility uh, over the east uh, end of the GTA, uh, and some uh, question and answer after dealing with, uh, well, some of the possibilities about staffing and things of this nature that are so important to this, uh, because th- this is an issue that has not gone away. I mean, f- from the beginning of this pandemic, we've been talking about uh, the impact that, uh, that this whole thing has had on long-term care facilities and the elderly, and some uh, recent studies indicate that uh, it's still very much a big problem. Uh, in this fifth wave of COVID-19 pandemic, vaccines, of course, have been playing a big role in protecting long-term care homes from these high death tolls uh, in the first wave that we talked about. But uh, the Omicron variant has still had a profound effect on residents and staff in many of these facilities. Karen Rebo has some details for us. The National Institute on Aging says 34% of Canada's 6,029 long-term care homes are currently experiencing a COVID outbreak. That's twice as many homes as the second highest peak in long-term care outbreaks when 1,000 homes were infected last January. And just this week, Canada marked the 16,000th death in long-term care since the pandemic began. COVID has also severely restricted staffing levels as workers have fallen ill themselves and had to isolate. That's led to concerns from advocates about the level of care residents are left with. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. So what is being done about that and why are we uh, not as outraged as we were a year, a year and a half or so ago about this? Well, it could just be because those facts aren't uh, coming out as quickly as they should. Talk about this. Uh, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Dr. Amit Aria, who is the co-founder of Doctors for Justice and Long-Term Care and Palliative Care Physician himself. A doctor, pleasure to have you back on the program. I hope you're doing well these days. Yeah, thanks so much for asking, Bill. It's uh, really nice to speak to you again. I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about here, including a report that came out from uh, CanAge, which is a national non-for-profit uh, that tracks uh, vaccinations and, and, and the care for the elderly. We'll get to that in a second, but I know you, as as we have been watching uh, the, the Premier's announcement, uh, your thoughts and, and your reaction to what you heard from the Premier today. So, yeah, I mean, it's really with a heavy heart that I do say that still our province of Ontario, in spite of so many deaths, uh, which are still occurring very sadly during the Omicron wave, is not moving in the right direction when it comes to elder care or looking after people with disabilities. We're not moving in the right direction when it comes to long-term care. And fundamentally, where what we're viewing human beings as, Bill, is as beds. They're looking at building more beds and they're framing this as more modern and comfortable beds, but beds are just furniture without enough staff to look after the human beings who need care and support in those beds. And secondly, I'll add that, I mean, we're talking about building new long-term care facilities. And while that's important, and obviously, as I said, building publicly funded, well-staffed long-term care facilities should be the priority. uh, We need to be talking a lot more about home care, which is where the vast majority of seniors, uh, close to 90%, want to be. This is where, you know, people want to age and they want to get sick and die in their own homes rather than being shipped off to another facility. Why is that not part of the discussion? I, I mean, you have talked about this, and and some of your colleagues, of course, uh, within the organization, uh, Doctors for, Long, for Justice for Long-Term Care, you've talked about this, and it, it, as, as you've explained it, and I think we've tried to talk about this on our program, uh, it's a key element in this whole thing. I mean, there's a structure that has to be in place here, you know, from primary care hospitals, et cetera, and certainly long-term care facilities, but you're right. I mean, 99% of the people I talk to that have families that are aging uh, don't want to go into these facilities. They'd rather stay at home, but the, the care's not there. Why Why the disconnect? Well, sadly, I mean, I think some of the disconnect is happening due to the tragic circumstances of the pandemic, Bill, where, I mean, we focused a lot on long-term care, and we still need to. 
Uh, I mean, I think obviously long-term care is important. And thankfully, we have not seen the same death toll for people who are receiving home care. Uh, but at this point in time, we have to just look at what people's wishes are. And like, you know, the people you're speaking to, Bill, I can tell you in my years of practice where I help patients and families navigate the healthcare system, I've yet to really come across someone who actually wanted to be in a long-term care facility. It's just that often home care was not enough. The caregivers were burnt out. They were not supported well enough. So then long-term care was the only option left. So of course we need to fix long-term care, but simply just putting up new buildings uh, without enough staff and without a one once again, paying attention to home care won't fix the system. I will add that a lot of this to me seems to be a way to actually support developers because uh, in terms of our public taxpayer dollars, which as the premier mentioned, are you know very short and there's not much funding coming in from the federal government. He's probably right there that we need more investment. I would rather have my money go more towards home care because you don't have that capital expenditure. You don't have to actually pay to put up these huge buildings, which are obviously costing all of us a lot of money. And once again, people don't want to go to these buildings in the first place. Yeah, it's a it's a, a, a rather unusual situation here, and you, you know it's all well and good to say that there's a new home, but you, you you did raise the question. I mean, you know, if we had better home care, maybe we wouldn't need these new facilities, or at least not as many of them. I mean, you know, we can get into how decrepit some of the existing facilities are too, and that needs to be addressed. But uh, one offs like this are it, it's 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 not really addressing the problem, though, is it, doctor? No, I don't think it is. And specifically to add to what you're saying, Bill, we're talking about staffing. And as I said, beds without uh, enough staff can simply be construed as furniture, right? We don't need furniture at this time. We need enough staff and we need well-trained um, you know, staff who are well looked after themselves. And right now, in terms of the, what, the, what the Ontario government is doing, they're not doing enough to make sure that all staff in home care and long-term care are being paid a livable wage. They're not being offered paid sick days. And specifically, we have a huge shortage of nurses of nurses where nurses have actually left the profession in droves because of the pandemic and uh, as you know many nursing advocates or healthcare advocates have been talking about repealing bill 124 where we've actually capped the wages of nurses um, at less than one percent of year which is actually less than the cost of living uh, so through a pandemic our province is actually cutting the wages of nurses effectively so we will only solve our healthcare crisis if we respect nurses we attract skilled nursing staff back to the sector and right now our province is falling way short is this the common sense revolution part two basically to target healthcare workers and say you know that's where we have to cut costs to make this a more efficient system I mean, I, I, I don't really know what to say to that. Perhaps that's the case, Bill. Um, you know, I wanted to even add another important point that uh, which is which is maybe, you know, in regards to your previous question about talking about home care and long term care is that equal pay for equal work is another thing which we should have. And you might be surprised or and, and you know, our listeners might also be surprised to hear that, you know, if you're a health worker, a PSW, for example, working in home care, you're paid about five dollars less compared to working in a long term care facility. And if you're working in a long term care facility, you're paid five to $10 less than working in a hospital, right? So obviously, that doesn't make sense. Uh, of course, we need more staff in hospitals as well. Our hospitals are underfunded. But the balance of how we provide funding is also wrong. And that's why we need to talk about home care and fixing long term care at the same time. Very important. I, I just want to touch on, a, if I could as well, doctor, because I think it's rele relevant to our conversation, is this uh, report from CanAge. And uh, for those maybe not familiar, as I say, this is a not-for-profit organization that basically tracks uh, how we care for our seniors. And uh, the, the numbers are out right now. Uh, despite improvements in some jurisdictions, they write, older Canadians continue to be at risk uh, 
of being infected with vaccine-preventable illnesses. Uh, the national average is D minus. That's how they've been then categorized right across the country, uh, which is the same as it was the year before, by the way. Uh, Ontario is slightly better than that, but the fact of the matter is, 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 and we're not just talking about COVID. That's certainly right on that list. But things like seasonal influenza, shingles, pneumonia, uh, we take for granted. I think, doctor, that well, if they're in a facility like that, they're getting everything they need, all the shots that they need, etc. This report apparently says no, they're not. Yeah, so I mean, I think COVID nineteen has, in general, as you mentioned, Bill, been a big wake up call in terms of how we treat people with disabilities, uh, how we uh, treat older adults, and I'm really thankful to CanAge. Uh, it's really an excellent organization for putting out this very thorough report. I encourage everyone to read, um, you know, this report. Uh, I can tell you that in terms of where we can improve Ontario, a lot of the feedback, which I absolutely agree with, and I'll share very quickly some frontline clinical experiences as well, is around sure. access. So, you know, the issue is, is if you're recently admitted into a long-term care facility. Um, unfortunately, there's no way the long-term care facility can just procure one dose, even if you need that crucial third dose, the booster shot to protect you from Omicron, which we know is just so important. I can share with you, uh, as I said, you know, as many of our listeners might already know, I work in the hospital as well as home care and long-term care. And in the hospital, um, and you know, this is the experience not of myself, but also of my colleagues in my hospital and all across the province, is that once again, that third dose is so important. But yet so many elder, older adults who have disabilities, you know, I mean, these people can't just go to a pharmacy or, you know, are unable to get out of the house to, you know, go to a mass vaccine clinic. So unfortunately, many of them have uh, not gotten their third dose. And because of that, they're becoming very, very sick. So it shows us that access is so, is so important. We need to obviously think about COVID-19 at this time, but we also need to think about other vaccine preventable illnesses like influenza, like shingles and pneumonia and do all we can. And I think, you know, thinking about the Ontario health teams involving primary care, involving public health, pharmacies will help to make sure that we expand this access to everyone who deserves it, especially older adults with disabilities. Well, and, and as you've talked about in the past as well, I mean, pre-existing conditions. I mean, I, we know we've heard some stories of people actually getting a, a shot a, on top of the other three if they're, you know, they're highly vulnerable because of the pre-existing medical conditions. But but what bothers me about this number and this report that we just got from CanAge, though, Dr., is uh, you've just outlined an unchanging situation about the level of care even in these facilities. They're understaffed. Uh, the, the staff are underpaid, the ones who are there, and overworked oftentimes. We get that part of it, and that's disgusting in and of itself. But now we're finding out that they're not, in many cases, getting the kinds of medications and the kinds of inoculations that they need. It, it really kind of goes back to the characterization uh, that some people did with, well, there were two or three different reports that came out after the first year of the pandemic that basically accused the government of simply warehousing seniors in these facilities. In other words, there you are, you're, you've got bricks and mortar around you, but you're not getting the level of care that you need. You're not getting the medications that you need. Uh, you're simply there existing uh, in, in that warehouse scenario. And I know that's a phrase that's very uncomfortable for an awful lot of people, but that seems to be a relatively accurate way that, that things are developing, not in every facility, but, you know, <laughs> If it, if it turns out to be one of the ones where your loved ones are, you've, you're concerned about this. And I, I'm not seeing any improvement here. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, the concern of many people who are living through this experience bill. And that's something that I see in my practice as a, as a health worker who's on the front lines of long term care and home care. Uh, really, I think, uh, if we sort of zoom out and look at the whole picture, it's a combination of austerity measures for older adults and people with disabilities, people who really need the care, we're shortchanging them, and we're shortchanging their health workers, we're looking at doing the bare minimum, or actually not even the bare minimum, to be honest, to actually allow people to live fulfilling lives and absolute people with disabilities and older adults can live for fulfilling lives and deserve to be empowered with the resources that they need to survive and live well. And secondly, uh, beyond austerity measures, it's greed to be very honest, where we know that Ontario um, has, you know, even before the pandemic, we had, um, you know, the highest percentage of private for-profit long-term care uh, operators in the country. And the government is actually moving in the wrong direction where they are planning to allocate 140 out of 220 new facilities, about 64% to for-profit long-term care companies. So the focus is on expanding the market share of these financialized companies rather than actually providing care to older adults, people with disabilities who absolutely deserve, you know, uh, much better. Well, and we know statistically that uh, the privately run facilities, uh, and as you say, that is the majority here in this province, uh, tend to pay less uh, to their staff. Uh, and, right. and as a result, and which is only exacerbating the staffing situation. That's, you know, people, as as you say, for everybody that walks in the front door as a trained uh, uh, PSW, you've got people walking out the back door saying, I can't do this anymore. Uh, so, we're, you know, there's, there's no net gain here that seems to be happening. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I'll add sort of two points to that, Bill. Thank you for bringing this up. You know, uh, firstly, uh, there's been a lot of talk about having enough staff and about how four hours of daily care per long-term care resident is a standard. And frankly, that's a standard from like 20 years ago that we still haven't met. And in spite of the crisis, the province is actually saying that they're going to meet that standard by 2025. But uh, let's be honest, the devil is in the details. They're saying that, that that will simply be an average. So it won't be that each facility at least has four hours of direct hands-on care, it means that it'll just be an average across the province. There might be a facility which, uh, as we can speculate, would be more likely to be the non-profit facilities, municipal or not-for-profit facilities, which will have six hours, and then the for-profit facilities will be allowed to, once again, not hire enough staff and be providing deficient care. And this is where, of course, when we as Canadians pride ourselves on universal health care, we've got to do better and we've got to think about publicly delivered care, not just in long-term care, but all also in home care, as we discussed, Bill. Well, and sometimes we can get lost in statistics. Now, that's that's quite understandable because we're inundated with numbers on just about every subject, especially when it comes to dealing with the pandemic. But, but we we can't do that at the expense of, of the human cost of this and remembering that we're talking about human beings here, not just statistics and numbers. You know, when you say it's understaffed, you figure, okay, well, that's a mathematical equation. Well, no, it's not. You know, if that's your mother or father or loved one in there and they're hitting the call button and nobody's responding uh, and they need the, you know, they have to go to the washroom or they're thirsty. They haven't had a drink or for five hours, something like this. That's that's the human side of that. We need to remember that, too, when we see these statistics. You know, the, the statistic tells a story, but it doesn't tell about, you know, the ramifications of those statistics. So I think we have to concentrate a lot more on that. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And uh, stories like what you have mentioned are what I'm seeing, actually, um, in my day-to-day work in long-term care and home care, where people are waiting for care. Um, There's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness. And a lot of that is unnecessary. 
right? It's actually grossly unnecessary and it causes a lot of moral distress in health workers like myself and my colleagues. So, I mean, if COVID-19 was not the wake-up call for us to fix and overhaul the system, what will be? And, uh, you know, a reminder once again to all of our listeners, I mean, uh, 2021 is actually the year when baby boomers, our largest age cohort, turns 75. So many people are already starting to access these these, um, services or will need them very shortly. And all of us are actually a serious illness or an accident away from, you know, living with a disability, uh, needing to be provided proper health care and social supports. So now is the time to actually fix the systems. And just, you know, these superficial uh, press conferences are not what we need. We need a complete overhaul of the system, starting with home care and also making long-term care facilities better staffed and more home-like. Well, and as you say, a much more holistic approach to, to healthcare here and understanding that all of these other services, uh, you know, are, are so key to this. It's not just about hospitals and building uh, more long-term care facilities. It's the staffing and, and the treatment that needs to go on. And, and your point's well taken. I mean, you know, every every community, every city is full of places you know, that, that are, are, are trying to help people that have acquired brain injuries, for instance. And, and that's, God forbid something could happen to you on this afternoon. You know, walking to the right. store, walk, driving in your car, your life changes forever. Well, where's the care there? Uh, you know, it, I, I, do you feel secure that if something, a tragedy like that were to be inflicted on your family, that the resources are going to be there? And right now, the answer is we don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it really tells us that, you know, short staffing is in itself deadly, to be honest. And, uh, you know, also how we treat health workers um, actually, you know, determines our health when we're sick or our loved one is sick. So if we simply improve the working conditions, we treat health workers as human beings, we provide them a livable wage, paid sick days, many of the other things I talked about, Bill, the care that we provide, you know, the people that we love, uh, seniors, people with disabilities, our own loved ones in our communities will definitely improve. That is definitely the starting point. And I will add, of course, this is not a partisan issue. None of this is partisan and it, none of this should be construed as partisan. It's actually an opportunity right now, sadly, through this humanitarian crisis for our governments, our health authorities to do right, and finally provide vulnerable people with the life they actually deserve. Absolutely. Doctor, thank you for the time. Thank you for the great work and your dedication to this cause, too. Uh, we we have to keep this up, up on the front burner. We have to keep governments aware of this. And uh, I'll just, I know we're running late here, uh, but just as a postscript to this whole thing, there is a provincial election coming up in just a few months here. And uh, this has to be part of the discussion and part of the debate for anybody who is seeking public office. Thanks again, Doctor. Stay well, and uh, we'll talk again. Thanks for having me, Bill. Take care. Dr. Amit Araya, of course, who is the co-founder of Doctors for Justice and Long-Term Care and Palliative Care. I, and you may have heard some of this stuff before. I get that. But boy, we have to keep talking about this until they finally understand that there's a lot more dedication and money that has to go into this program to make our healthcare system better in this province. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.